we've been doing 10 questions that the world is asking that the church needs to answer. And as, like, when Pastor told me, like, that this is the series we're going to do, and I get to speak during this series at some point, I was like, what question is the world answering that I, that I feel that I should talk about? And I'm thinking, is it something along the lines of, like, a social media? Do we go along the lines of, um, where was God when this happened? Um, but I'm going to go with something that's kind of more along where I've been in my own life, which is doing it your own way. So the question that I want to answer today is, what if I think I can do it on my own? So Superman, all right, the man of steel, he is able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. He is faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. He can, I mean, if you go to the Brandon Routh Superman, he's stopping bullets with his eyeball. Um, Things like this. Superman can do everything. He is the most overpowered superhero out there, give or take. Um, but then, you know, as the writers saw that he's so, so overpowered, they add in things like Kryptonite, and they add in other villains that are able to actually take him down. And, you know, wherever there's that much power, there's always something that's going to be competing with it. So we got Superman. But what does Superman do? He forms Justice League with Batman and a whole bunch of other people because Superman needs a team. He needs some people behind him. Even when he's on his own, he's still not really on his own. He always has people behind him. Um, he has, like, Jimmy working with him, the, his photographer guy that's always, like, kind of helping him, and he's out there with his, you know, he's telling him where the trouble is, and there's Lois wherever she's at. That's where the trouble's at, so that's where Superman's at. Um, but, you know, you look at all these heroes, Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, uh, Martian Manhunter, Flash, Adam, Red Tornado, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Cyborg. These members of the Justice League, they need each other. They need one another. And they all have their own backup back home. So this team, and this is like, you know, people love superheroes, right? Well, at least I do. I love superheroes. But this team aspect, and that's what makes it so much fun, the Avengers, the Justice League, like, and when they team up, when all these superheroes come together, they're all one power together, like all this power in one place. It's like, who can really stop them? But there is, obviously, they always have troubles. But this team, is, they need this to succeed, right? They're not going to win this battle on their own. But the world is still saying, what if I can just do this on my own, right? Why do we need God? Why do we need each other? And why is having pride such a bad thing? So we're going to go to Romans, chapter 12, verse 3, which is hilarious because that's what we talked about in Sunday school today downstairs. And I am going to just continue this tonight in going into Romans, chapter 12, verse 9. So if you want to keep on going with this with me, come to youth group tonight because, hey, why not? Um, Romans 12, verse 3. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So this is kind of a funny play on words that Paul uses here. We're saying we're not to think of ourselves in some beautiful light that we've cast upon ourselves, but we are still to think of ourselves. And it's kind of, you know, you, people take this as like, don't think about yourself, think of others. But he's really telling you to think of yourself, but in a humble light. 
and in this measure of faith that God has given to each of us. Um, the way that the message translation uses for this verse uh, goes like this. I'm speaking to you out of this deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you who does, every one of you does, in pure grace. It is important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what, not by what we are and what we do for him. I love that translation because it just blows that whole concept wide open. Like We interpret ourselves by what God does and what he brings to us and not what we bring to him, all right? So let's go into this translation, not into this translation. We're going back to the ESV one, but we are going to go into this verse and just kind of dig it apart a little bit. So for grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So who's Paul talking to? He's talking to everybody. Everybody among you, which is everybody. He's coming from this place of grace. Paul comes from grace because Paul has been humbled. Think of how God got Paul's attention in the first place. Paul is going from town to town. He's going here killing Christians, killing Christians. He kills Stephen. And he's on the road to Damascus and blinding light. Paul's blind. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Or Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, he goes to the town, meets up with Ananias. Ananias prays with him. Scales fall off his eyes. He sees again, totally radically changed, and he becomes Paul, this world changer, okay? So grace. Paul doesn't deserve this by our standards, right? Paul is out just, if someone walked in this church, just started shooting up this place, and then a couple months later, turns around and is like a pastor, like changing the world, like people wouldn't really expect that, right? People wouldn't like want to forgive that person because of what they've done. It's like saying, what if Hitler accepted Christ in his last moment? Or, um, you know, any serial killers and stuff like that. If some, something like that along those lines, like what if they accepted Christ in their last moments? Like, you know, do you want to see them in heaven? But grace. Right? Grace is something we've received that we don't deserve, whereas mercy is not receiving that we do deserve. And it's humbling to think that God, the God of all creation, loves us enough to extend us this grace no matter where we come from. I'm sure a lot of us haven't gone around just killing Christians. We haven't gone around just being a serial killer or trying to kill off an entire race of human beings or something like that. We're not in that you know, we, we, we give it categories, right? We're human, right? We put them in categories where everything is equal, but we have, you know, this is worse right here. But God, no matter what, still is extending every single one of us that grace. Just here, have some grace because you did nothing to deserve this. But here it is freely. So that's where Paul is coming from, a place where he did not deserve this grace, and he received it anyway. So Paul understands humility, and that's what he's talking about here. And he goes on to say not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So this begs humility. We are talking humility, and it is 
so natural for us human beings to get caught up in ourselves. We get caught up in our own little worlds, and our, the Bible will tell us that our hearts are evil. But if we listen to our hearts, our hearts are going to be, you are good, you are awesome, the other person is at fault, they were wrong, you were right, you are good, just keep doing your thing, go after what you desire, they're wrong, the world's, the world's against you, do your thing. But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And if we try to understand our own hearts, but we keep on failing. And all we hear from our heart is, hey, you're good. You're good. So let's continue on Paul's teaching. So after he says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. It is okay to think about yourself. We do it anyway. So thank God that it's okay to think about yourself because we do it all the time. You look in a mirror, you're thinking about what? Yourself, right? It's not like I'm looking in the mirror to think about Taylor, right? I look at my mirror, I'll check my hair, and I'm like, man, Taylor looks so good right now. No, I mean, <laughs> if she happens to be in the background of the mirror, then yes, I'm probably thinking those thoughts. But right in that moment, I'm looking at me. I'm thinking about me. But we have to do this with this sober judgment. And what does it mean for this sober judgment? It's to think clearly because... The opposite of sober is drunk or intoxicated. And when you're intoxicated or drunk, you are not thinking clearly. You think unclearly. You have clouded judgment. You have clouded thinking. And from someone who came from a past of going down that path of just going out and just getting drunk, people always say it's so much fun and you have these stories, but I don't remember these stories. And that is clouded judgment. That is clouded thinking, right? And... If you think about it in this clarity, you shine a light upon what is going on with you in your life, it should humble every single one of us. And we like to think that we can handle situations on our own. And sometimes we might be able to, right? Like it's like, oh, I gotta go mow the lawn. I'll do that on my own, okay? But even then, even in that situation, it would still be so much easier if someone else helped. It's gonna cut that time in half, right? So no matter what the situation is, it's something so simple that you could do on your own. Help is still going to help, right? They call it help for a reason. And God is always there with us, and he wants us to lean on him. And God intends us to lean on him. God intends us to lean on the people that he's put around us. It strengthens us. It builds faith. If I come up against a situation and I lean on Gareth for some help and it works out, my faith is in Gareth is built up, my faith in God is built up because he put Gareth in my path, and I know that in the future I can lean on Gareth to help me in the future in situations because, boom, there it happened. He's been there. So if you think that you can do it on your own, that's not sober thinking. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What does that even mean? Well, let me tell you. This is the varying degree of faith that God has given each... Wait, is this the very varying degrees of faith that God has given each believer or the Christian faith that all believers hold in common? So, you know, like, faith is a gift, right? Faith is a gift from God. And sometimes, for some people, it's a stronger gift than in others. Uh, when I took the uh, spiritual gifts test, faith was really high up on me. But there's other kids and stuff around that they, their faith wasn't a high thing. It wasn't high up on their list. So there's that varying degrees of faith. 
but we all, as Christian believers, hold on to this common faith that you know brings us towards Christ. But it doesn't matter. Faith is faith is this main part of religion. It is the main thing about being a Christian. It is the main part of who we are because without faith, how do you really believe? It constitutes its first demand in the Christian religion, therefore, is characterized by faith or confidence in God. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. That's a good one to go through for faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their condemnation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And so that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. And down in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whosoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So obviously, faith is important. And if we go relying on our own strength instead of trusting in God and putting our faith in him, we are missing the point. The whole point is gone. We, miss, we cannot miss this. This is the basis for our walk. So what is the big deal? Why do we have to lean on faith and not on our own abilities? Because the Bible says so. Actually, I even wrote in my notes at this point, um, because the Bible says so. But I said something, Taylor and I were talking, she's like, you cannot say um more than eight times in your message today. And I am purposely taking this one out, even though now I've said it multiple times, just because I'm explaining this point and I am just putting myself in this hole. But the Bible says so, right? That is why. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it is the way to death. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. We are not meant to do this alone. Life, church, sickness, health, trouble, good time, bad times, or H, all of the above. We are not meant to do this alone. We are created to belong. We were talking last week about unity and how we belong. What is the point of the church it is to belong. We are here for one another. We build each other up. We hold each other up. We support each other. If you keep reading through this chapter in Romans, chapter 12, and I encourage you to go home and read through it because it just says all about unity and coming together as a body of believers. And when Jesus tells his disciples that with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible, he is talking about salvation because we can't save ourselves, right? We cannot do this. There's nothing you can do that will save yourself. If you think that you can be good enough to be saved, you are wrong and not thinking with a sober mind. Pride. Pride is what gets in the way right there, and that is a horrible thing in a church. It is the greatest sin, according to C.S. Lewis. Um, actually, just according to a lot of people, I would agree with that. Pride is the ultimate downfall, and this is something that's shown up in all of our lives, in my own life. Like, I come into this job like a youth pastor, and, like, so many times I just go at it thinking I can do this on my own. I spent weeks upon weeks painting that room, and only one time did I ever ask for help. One time did I ever ask for help. And I spent the rest of the time just doing it on my own because, like, you know what? I can do this. I got this. I hung a TV on my own. That was the scariest thing ever because I was expecting to come in the next day and that TV be on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
just all this stuff. Like, you just think you can do this on your own, and there's so many things in my life where I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. I got this, and I just go after it, and I just jump all in. And there's a great thing about having that, like, go get them attitude, but at the same time, if you don't take a moment to look for help from either God or from people around you, you're missing the point. Pride. I don't, cook about, I don't brag about my cooking skills for no reason, right? <laughs> I mean, granted, let's just face it, competition was rigged, right? Okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bragging about some rigged com- competition. This is a thing. No, this is, this is a joke, right? That was all joking. You know? I, I brag and joking. I brag about being the second best pastor in the world for, you know, because I'm joking. And, you know, all this stuff, like, it's, it's, it's fun, all fun and games. I'm not, I'm not serious, guys. I mean, my, there was a, a lady at our old church, the first time I ever met her, I went up to her, and I was like, hi, I'm Jake. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and she remembers that to this day, that I did that. And my, my family always made a big, you know, always made a big joke about Jake. Here comes Jake, the big deal. So my email address for the longest time, and it still is like for my Facebook login email address is thebigdeal3 at gmail.com. It is, I, I'm like, when I have to tell people that that's my email address, and for the longest time, I mean, I had to go make other email addresses. So when I'm like, uh, oh, what's your email address? Thebigdeal3 at gmail.com. They're like, what is that? Thebigdeal3 at gmail.com. Oh, so who are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, thanks. Um, I'm talking about this dangerous pride, though. There is a dangerous pride in our lives. This is dangerous to our soul. It's dangerous to our intimacy with God. And as I said about C.S. Lewis saying that this is the most dangerous thing, in the book Mere Christianity, he says this. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief case of misery in every nation, in every family since the world began. Yet the world still wants us to think that having pride is okay. It is a good thing. When the going get tough, gets tough, we stick it out because we have our pride. When your pride is going to carry you through the hard times, Bryce Courtenay says, pride is holding your head up when everyone around you has theirs bowed. Courage is what makes you do it. Pride comes before the fall. The, before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. And do you know where that saying came from? The Bible. Imagine that. Proverbs 16.8 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This desire to lift up and exalt ourselves beyond our place as God's creature lies in the heart of pride. Look at Eve, right? Look at Eve and her encounter with the spirit. She is in this garden. She's walking around and the serpent comes up to her and begins a conversation. Weird, I know, right? Snake comes up and starts talking to her. Okay, that's cool. Back in the day, you could talk to animals, right? Or maybe Dr. Doolittle came from the line of Eve. Ever think about that? <laughs> so she's in here. She's talking to the serpent, and, it be- and he arrogantly 
contradicts what God had said to Eve about eating this forbidden, forbidden fruit. And he charges God with lying. This rejection of God's word introduces Eve to a concept that she has never known, this possibility of unbelief. And this was intended to arouse doubt in her mind about the truthfulness and reliability of God. Because before this moment, Adam and Eve had never had a doubt about God. They walked with him in the garden. They moved around. They existed with God in this garden. They don't doubt him. They just take him as is. It's, he's right there. It's God. You know, I don't, I don't doubt Taylor. I don't doubt her existence. Maybe some of her ideas, maybe they're doubtful. But her ideas, I always know, are better than mine anyway, so I just go with it. And then in the next breath, the devil drew her into deeper deception by contradicting that God's reason for lying was to keep her from enjoyment of possibility inherent in being godlike. And this was aimed at undermining her confidence in the goodness and the love of God, and it arouses the desire in her to become as God. Eve is confused. Eve is deceived. And in this state of mind, she considers the possibilities. Her desire to become godlike grows stronger. And she begins to look at this forbidden fruit in a new light. It's become something attractive to her eyes. And it's pleasant to the touch. And her desire keeps increasing. And the temptation is increasing. And it's giving rise to this rationalization and this corresponding erosion of her will to resist and to say no. And what does she do? She eats it, and she gives it to Adam, and he eats it. And then, then what happens? Right? The fall, okay? Pride comes before the fall. There are so many other biblical examples of pride and its consequences in the lives of individuals. Um, Uzziah, right? Uzziah is a great one. He is this believer, and he becomes this king of Judah at the age of 16. Now, can you imagine a 16-year-old king? Yeah, no. It's kind of crazy to think. But, I mean, like, we're just going to take Devin, and he's, he's king. Devin's king, okay? So we got King Devin back there, and he is a believer, and he becomes king. He sets his heart to seek God, and he puts himself under the spiritual mentorship of Zechariah. So Uzziah and Zechariah, or Devin and Pastor Jake, right? We are, we are going at it. We are, he is the king, and he is under the spiritual mentorship of me, and as long as he sought the Lord, according to 2 Chronicles 26.5, as long as he sought the, the Lord, God made him to prosper. And as a result, he acquires wealth. He becomes politically, militarily powerful, and then things change. His fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. That's verses 15 and 16. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. There is an unknown author to this quote. Some never get started on their destiny because they can't humble the so themselves to learn, grow, and change. That's not the case in Uzziah's. That's not Uzziah's case. He humbled himself first, right? He humbles himself before God. 
And God makes him powerful. God makes him wealthy. He has it all. And when he gets it all, he became proud and he was destroyed. There's a story of the Pharisee and the tax, tax collector that can help us recognize our own spiritual pride. This much dis despised tax collector and this self-righteous Pharisee go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee proceeds to commend himself to God because of his careful observance of the law. And he looks down with a scornful contempt on the sinful tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Notice that in his prayer that his focus is not really on God at all, but on good, how, how good he is and how bad others are. Here, pride wraps itself up in this cloak of religion and gives it a bad name. This tax collector, though, he is so painfully aware of his sins, his unworthiness before God, that he can't even lift his eyes as he stands in the back of the temple, far from the altar, and he's back there pounding his breast, pleading, weeping, and he has this desperate plea of, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the Greek text, it actually reads, the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. This is just this surprising reversal of expectation, right? We think this tax collector, he's a, he's a miserable person. And then this Pharisee, who is like doing his duty as this religious leader, he is fasting twice a week. He is tithing everything. And then this guy over here is stealing from the people. But he comes before God. God, look at what I've done. I do this. I do that. This guy is awful. I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm not like him. And this guy's like, God, I'm worthless. I am the sinner. He's like, I need you, right? And then there's the conclusion, which everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So pride, right? Not good. Just as pride is the root of all sin, humility is the mother, the root, the nurse, the foundation, the bond of all virtue. As John Christostom, I, don't, I think that's how you say his name, once remarked. I got that, I love that quote, and I was like, man, I like that quote so much, I'm putting it in, even though I can't say the guy's last name. That's pride. That's not having pride right there. That's humility right there. I know I can't say that guy's last name, but I'm still going to use this quote. We live in a world where it doesn't seem like humility has a place anymore, right? It is not in fashion to be humble. But Jonathan Edwards says, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. Our perspective on humility can be radically changed if we ponder and meditate on the greatest example of humility in history, Jesus Christ. By the very act of leaving heaven, coming to earth, taking the form of man, he demonstrates an unfathomable humbling of himself. And throughout his life on earth, Jesus demonstrates a spirit of profound humility everywhere he goes, everything he does. He came not to serve not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. On his last night with his disciples, he took a towel and basin and washed dirty feet, okay? 
This is Jesus, right? Savior of humanity. And he's washing feet. He is God among us. And he is washing feet. That is humility. Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. The Apostle Paul may have been thinking of this very scene when he writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus became so human that he was obedient to even death. And then he conquers it, right? We hold on to this pride still, but why? Maybe pride is why we hold on to our pride. Pride holds on to a hurt when it needs to be talked about, when it needs to be let go. Pride is not talking about the problems in your life. Pride is not asking for help. Pride is choking the life out of you. Pride is thinking that you can beat a drug or an alcohol or a sexual addiction on your own. Does this bind you? Is there this temptation in your life? Do you have an urge, right? Do you have this? And what do you do about it, right? Do you think you're just going to shake it off? You think you're going to do it on your own? For so long in my life, I struggle with so many things, and I'm just like, I can just do this on my own. I'll be better next week. I'm going to shake it off. I'm good. And then a week later, I'm back in the same situation. I'm just going to shake it off again. That's not the point. That's the opposite of the gospel. You're not supposed to do it yourself. That's not the answer. What is the answer? What are you going to do, right? There is only one answer, and he came here and he died for us. He humbled himself so much that he died for you and me. Your goodness, your discipline, your devotion is not going to save you. It's only going to kill you, right? It's not going to save you. That won't save you. If you lean on your goodness, your devotion, your own discipline, you go to death. We have to come to this place of humility. We have to come to this place of humbleness. And then we can approach God and we can approach the others around us for help, for support, to celebrate with us, to cry with us, to uphold us, to forgive us. So I'm going to leave you with this. What does pride look like in your life? What are you holding on to? What do you need to ask someone to help you with? Or to uphold you with? Or to pray for with you with? Or to be next to you with? To carry you with? To carry you through? Whether it be asking God or ask the person next to you or around you. God gave us each other. That's why we're a church, right? We are here for one another. If you have a problem, you come to somebody you come to me, and we work through it. We talk about it. We pray about it. We, I will uphold you through it. If I have a problem, I should be able to come to any of you about the same stuff. If You go through hard times. I mean, we're human. We go through ups and downs. Our lives are like a roller coaster, and we just, it's a struggle. Like, a couple weeks ago, I just had a horrible week. It was just a bad week all throughout. 
my other job sometimes just makes me miserable. And then comes Sunday, and Sharon comes up to me, and she's like, I've had just this burden for you all week, and I was just praying for you. And I'm just like, that's why you lean on God, because he's going to bring someone else up to just pray with you, for you, even though you don't know they're doing it. I didn't go out of my way to ask Sharon to do that, but she just felt a burden from God because in my desperate times, I'm just like, God, what am I supposed to do? This is awful. This situation is terrible. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I am miserable. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And then he answers the prayer, even if it's not even like, if it's more just kind of like a, a, a yell. He answers moanings. We moan and he'll answer us. God knows what we, the desires of our heart. He knows what we need, and he's going to give it. But we have to look for it, too. We have to go out and get that help. So what pride are you holding on to? What are you holding on to in your life that you need to let go of? Who do you need to go talk to? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to go pray with? Just go and seek this. Go seek somebody out. Walk with somebody else. This isn't meant to walk alone. We're not supposed to do this alone. That is why we can't, no matter what you think, no matter how good you think you are, you could think that I got this. I can do this. Maybe, but you're probably wrong. We have a family here, right? This church is our family. We can lean on one another with my family, my blood family, I can go to them and ask for anything. I feel like I can go to my mother, I can go to my father, and I can ask them. And it took a couple months, and now I feel like I can ask you guys. Like at first, when I first came here, you're all strangers. I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do. You could probably, I've come tell somebody my problems. I, I can go tell Bob my problems, and Bob's putting it on Facebook. Oh, you'll never believe what Pastor Jake said. Youth pastor, this is what our youth pastor's like. No, I, I trust him now. I trust you guys. And that's what family's for. We need to trust each other. We need to hold each other up. We need to bless one another. If you continue on in Romans chapter 12 in verse 9, which we're going to talk about tonight, it's what it looks like. And it's about honoring, continually honoring the other people more than you honor yourself. And it's just, that's what we are here for. Honoring other people is the opposite of pride. So let's do that, right? Let's give up on this pride. And that's all I have for you this week. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a moment. I hear people talk about, and Kelly, if you want to come to the piano, I hear people talk about this a lot, that, you know, when we, when we stand before God one day and, and is there going to be like a big movie and we kind of watch our lives over and we get to kind of see all the decisions we made and the turns we took and things like that. And I want you to know that every person in this room, myself included, when it's all played before us, we're going to know we could have got, gotten a lot further than we did if we weren't so proud. If we could have walked further than we were going to walk if we would have been able to ask somebody. I see it in church a lot that sometimes we're really good at giving to people and giving to a need, but it's hard for us to receive sometimes because to receive from you, I have to admit that I need something from you. 
and that hurts my pride. It hurts me to ask. So we're just going to take a moment just in your heart, just between you and God. You have that locked door that you keep there, that you don't let anyone in, that you don't let anyone see, that even when you're hurting and even when you need help, you can't let anyone know that need is there because they might think less of you, they might not like you as much, they might have a different image of you. I'm not saying you got to open the door, but unlock it. Unlock it, just say, Lord... If you've got somebody who can pour into my life, if you've got somebody who can meet this need in me, God, if you've got an intercessor out there who's going to pray for me about this, Lord, if you've got some sort of accountability partner for me in this area, God, then I want you to, I want you to just open that door, Lord, and I'll let you in.